Since we heard this morning that there is a God, excellent song, we want to look into God's Word and see what He would have for us here this morning. So I would invite you to open your Bibles to John chapter 19. John chapter 19. If you don't have your Bibles with you, there's a pew Bible there in front of you. You can open it there to John chapter 19 or on your phones or however you read God's Word. This morning I want to read verses 17 through 30. My title in my Bible um, has simply the crucifixion. So God's inspired and inerrant word reads, They took Jesus, therefore, and He went out, bearing His own cross, to the place called the place of a skull, which in Hebrew is called Golgotha. There they crucified Him, and with Him two other men, one on either side, and Jesus in between. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It was written, Jesus the Nazarene, the King of the Jews. Therefore, many of the Jews read this inscription, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And it was written in Hebrew, Latin, and in Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews were saying to Pilate, Do not write the King of the Jews, but that he said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his outer garments and made four parts, a part to every soldier and also the tunic. Now the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece. And so they said to one another, Let us not tear it, but cast lots for it, to decide whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture. They divided my outer garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Therefore the soldiers did these things. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus then saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, Behold your son. And he said to his disciple, Behold your mother. From that hour the disciple took her into his own household. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things had already been accomplished to fulfill the Scripture, said, I am thirsty. A jar full of sour wine was standing there. So they put a sponge full of the sour wine upon a branch of hyssop and brought it up to his mouth. Therefore, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Father, I ask a blessing upon the reading of your word. And now, Lord, as we look at this pivotal moment, if I may, this time where where we reflect upon your death and the power that came as a result of it. Father, I pray that you would guide our hearts and our minds this morning. I pray that your spirit would illuminate this text for us. And Father, may it go well beyond just knowing what it says or understanding what it says. But Father, may you add the application this morning on how each one of us are to receive it. I pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. I have simply titled this, The Crucified King. 
There are some passages of Scripture that bring about a greater sense of emotion than others. This morning, we have one such passage of Scripture. How can this Scripture be read without a deep sense of sorrow? How can this Scripture be read without a deep sense of the gravity of sin that would bring about such great suffering? A man or woman who can read such a Scripture as this without a great sense of indebtedness and gratitude is indeed a very hard and a very cold and a very thoughtless person. Many times in this Gospel of John, John would say words similar of Jesus, similar to this. My hour has not yet come. His hour has now come. And as Jesus opened up His own prayer to the Father on this very night, He started with these words, Father, the hour has come. Glorify Your Father or Your Son that the Son may glorify You. As we've seen last week in verse 16, the sentence has been handed down. Jesus stands condemned. The sentence is death by crucifixion. As I've already said, I've titled this message this morning, The Crucified King. And if you will, I will add a subtitle to that called The Works of the Cross. The works of the cross. And that's what I want to focus on this Sunday and next Sunday. And so I have broken down the works in four parts. And obviously many more could be added or you might even correct some of them. But I've simply titled them as condemning, confirming, caring, and consummating. As you think about the work of the cross and what Jesus accomplished upon that cross, as He said, my hour has now come, and then closes with, it is finished. And so this morning, I'm going to be looking at, at verses 17 through 22 and really focusing in only on verses 17 and 18 this morning. Under the heading of the condemned king. We see the condemnation here of Jesus in this opening part of the crucifixion story. And there's five points of condemnation that I want you to notice in verses 17 and 18. We're really just looking at the verbs of these verses, of these two verses. And the first is starts out at the very beginning in verse 17, they took Jesus. And I want to pause just for a moment right there and hang on to those words for just a little bit and just for a moment. The text tells us that they took Jesus. But we must understand that the Scripture teaches us Jesus went willingly. In fact, we understand the Scripture to tell us that this was the foreordained plan of God at the divine council before the foundation of the world was ever laid. This was the plan. They took Jesus. Jesus went willingly. There was no dragging. There was no poking. There was no prodding. There was no fighting. There was no cursing. And there was no hysteria. Jesus went silently. And Jesus went willingly. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 7. Isaiah wrote this. He said, like a lamb that is led to slaughter, and like a sheep that is silent before its shears. So he did not open his mouth. 
by judgment, he was taken away. Although Jesus was as harmless and as innocent as a lamb, Jesus went quietly and Jesus went willingly. Second, I want you to notice in verse 17, they took Jesus, therefore, and he went out. He went out. There is such great significance in these three little words, he went out. And, and, and through the rest of this morning, I will be drawing upon the Old Testament as we look at this being the fulfillment of the Old Testament. And even in the passage that we read throughout here, twice it was referenced so that the Scriptures would be fulfilled. And so I want to take us back into Leviticus and look at the Levitical code, the sacrificial system, just for a little bit to, to once again not put anything before you new this morning, but just to remind ourselves and remind our minds of, <clears throat> of the uh, continued revelation here throughout the biblical text. The Levitical sacrificial system required that the bull, that a bull of sin offering to be taken outside the camp and to be burned there. But the bull's blood first was brought into the holy of holies places and sprinkled there and given there on the altar as an atonement over and over and over again for the sins of the people. In Leviticus chapter 16, I'll times this morning, but in Leviticus chapter 16, looking at verse 27. It says here that the bull of the sin offering and the goat of the sin offering, whose blood was brought in to make an atonement in the holy place, shall be taken outside the camp and there burned. The blood was brought in, the rest was taken outside the camp and burned there. And I might remind you this morning of the characters who are involved here in the crucifixion of Jesus. Sure, we had the Roman uh, uh, soldiers who did the physical uh, act, deed of the crucifixion, and many arguments have been made, and many theologians and Bible scholars, uh, way, way smarter than I, do battle, if you will, uh, on who exactly is responsible for the death of Jesus. But, but, and I'm not even going to get into that this morning, but I, I do want you to, to remind you that as you think about the Levitical system and the first high priest of Aaron who is written about here in, in, in Leviticus, there was two other high priests overseeing, if you will, that execution of Jesus on this crucifixion day. Two other high priests, Annas and Caiaphas. Two men that should have known and did know the Scriptures inside and out. They would have had it probably memorized starting as a very young boy going off to children's church themselves. They would have probably memorized such a... If there's anyone who should have seen and recognized the significance of this, it should have been Ananias and Caiaphas in the line of Aaron the first high priest. And I just want to offer you to you this morning that as we come to the biblical text, as you read the biblical text and read through the Bible, I don't know what your reading habits are. I don't know if you're one of those who, who tries to read through the whole Bible in a year, if you, you jump around and select. It doesn't, I don't, I don't really, it doesn't really matter. This is what I want you to offer to you this morning. As you go reading the biblical text, it's so easy to read a, a, a verse, probably the psalm that Lee read this morning, Psalm 23. Probably half of you could recite it without even opening your Bibles 
We know it so well. But do we really know what the Scripture is teaching? Do we really understand what it is saying? Or has our filters, are they so clogged with our preconceived ideas, which we correct, I'm not saying that, but they can be so clogged and so waterlogged, so knowledge-logged, if you will, that sometimes we completely miss the point of the text. As Caiaphas and as Annas did here. And as many of the religious people throughout the Bible did. And so I want to offer to you that this morning. And I I also want to remind you of, of Hebrews chapter 13, verse 12, where the author of Hebrews there had written for us, therefore Jesus also, that He might sanctify the people through His own blood, suffered outside the gate. Suffered outside the gate, obviously being outside the gates of the Jerusalem city. That That is the great significance that we see in those three little words. He, Jesus, went out. These first two verses of our text this morning has such great significance aligning with the Old Testament. I was also reminded of the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 22, verse 37. Whereas Jesus prayed over this beloved city of Jerusalem, and where He said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets, stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together the way that a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. And you, you were unwilling. In this one little verse here, we see that the message that Jesus had given, that the prophets had brought brought to them over and over and over again were rejected. The message of Jesus was rejected. And it's interesting as we think about the Gospel of John. There's no, there's no parables in the Gospel of John. But I want to draw upon a parable of Jesus and Matthew along this very line here of the prophets not being accepted and the prophets being rejected. You're very familiar with the parable. It's the parable of the landowner where the landowner builds a vineyard, builds a, puts out his grapes and as the wine is being made and he sends his servants to collect the wine and to collect some of the the proceeds, if you will, of this particular land. And as those who were working the vineyard and the orchard, as as these servants would come, they would reject these servants, they would kill the servants, they would run them off, they would beat them. And as Jesus continues on this parable, talking to these religious leaders, he gets down here to verse 37 and he says, but afterwards he sent his own son, saying to them, they will respect my son. But when the vine growers saw the son, they said among themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and seize his inheritance. And in verse 42, then Jesus says, did you never read in your scriptures? The stone which the builder rejected, this became the chief cornerstone. This came about from the Lord, and it is marvelous in their eyes. And the point was not lost on the chief priests few verses later, when the chief priests and the Pharisees heard this parable and understood that he was speaking about them, did they receive the message? Did they stop for a moment and say, maybe we're misreading the narrative? Did they stop for a moment and saying, maybe we're misinterpreting? Maybe we're not understanding this Jesus character the way that we should? No, they didn't. They set out from that day to kill him. The killing. We also see in this verse of Matthew chapter 23, verse 37, 
we see the deep love of Jesus. When he said that, how often I wanted to gather together your children together. And many of you know, I don't think I've mentioned it often, but I'm grandpa, and I'm not sure if anybody knew that here this morning or not. But, you know, e- e- even as myself, as a grandpa, and as I hold my little granddaughter, what I wouldn't do for protection for my granddaughter, let alone for my grandchildren. This is the analogy. This is the sense that Jesus is giving here, how he wanted to protect, how he wanted to hold the deep love of Jesus, and yet he was rejected. He offered them protection, and then he closes with, and you were unwilling. Listen, for us to receive the love of Jesus, for us to receive the protection of Jesus, we must be willing. We must be willing to open ourselves up and to give ourselves over for this love and protection that is offered here by Jesus. And now here we see Jesus being led out of this beloved city, a condemned man. They took Jesus, therefore, and he went out bearing his own cross. And now third, I want you to see that. I want you to see that Jesus was bearing his own cross. And I also want to draw on some significance of this, this, the, these words of bearing his own cross. And I want to point back to Genesis. You're probably ahead of me already. I want to point back to Genesis chapter 22. As we look at the story of Abraham and Isaac, and as Abraham was taking his son Isaac up to the mountain and there to offer him up as a sacrifice to God, he laid the wood, it tells us, upon his son Isaac. And how can we not see the analogy? How can we not see the image of of Abraham laying the wood upon Isaac and the cross being laid upon the shoulders of Jesus here? And I just want to read it for you here this morning. In Genesis chapter 22, just a couple verses, 6-8. through It says, Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering, and he laid it on Isaac his son. And he took his, in his hand the fire and a knife, and the two of them walked on together. Isaac spoke to Abraham and said, Father, huh, my father? He said, Here I am. Here I am, my son. Isaac said, Behold the fire and the wood. Where is the lamb? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the burnt offering. So the two of them walked on together. How can we not see here a picture of Jesus on this very morning? It would have been early in the morning as he walked out of Jerusalem, as he left the city carrying upon him his own wood, his own crucifixion, his own means of execution. But I don't know, maybe I'm doing a little eisegesis here with this text here this morning, but, but I... It, it, it struck me that in Genesis, twice in a story that as a father and as sons, how, how can we grasp this particular event? But, but I found it interesting that, that Moses, the author here, recorded for us that, that so the two of them walked on together. Twice, the text tells us that the two of them, Abraham and Isaac, walked on together. I was reminded that Jesus was very much alone. Jesus was very much alone as he left that city carrying his own cross. Everyone had deserted him except a couple of the ladies and John. But it doesn't tell us that they followed him out of the city. From everything this story tells us that that nobody walked alongside Jesus. In fact, they pulled somebody in later on to help carry this cross. But Jesus left this city, 
all alone, all alone. In fact, in Matthew chapter 26, where the, Matthew records the words that John doesn't for us there from the cross, where Jesus cries out, my father, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Citing the first verse of Psalm 22. Jesus left all alone. Also going back into Leviticus chapter 16, as we think about the Levitical sacrificial system, in Leviticus 16 verses 21 to 22, it tells us there that Aaron, this is the process that they went through for the sacrificial goats and, and, and bulls. And then Abraham, or I'm sorry, Aaron, shall lay his hand on the heads of the, of the live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the sons of Israel and all their transgressions in regard to all their sins. And he shall lay on them the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness. And the goat shall bear on itself all the iniquities to a solitary land, and it shall release the goat in the wilderness. Again, how can we not see the picture of Jesus bearing the sins of the world upon his shoulders as he left this city? The weight of the world was totally and completely on him. And as this bull, as this goat was released, carrying away the iniquities of the people into, into solitary, into the wilderness, it tells us, Jesus too was very much alone as he left the city carrying the weight of the sins of the world quite literally upon his shoulders. And next, number four, I want you to see in verse 18 uh, that they crucified him. There they crucified him. John has very little to say about the process of the crucifixion. And I'm sure you have, have read many accounts of it. You've probably heard well-meaning pastors get into the pulpit and give you descriptions of, of how the crucifixion happened and, and how it was carried out medically and biologically. I'm not going to do that to you this morning. Uh, you have no, and you know all about that. It's not the importance is not so much the crucifixion as of itself, because that was just the mode. That was the electric chair. That was the, the the lethal injection. That was the gas chamber of their era of their time, and yet it was a horrific execution. But J.C. Ryle had this to say after he gave quite a bit of details. He concluded with this little paragraph here. He said this, and I quote: "When we remember." Beside all this, he just gave the description that our Lord's head was covered with thorns, his back torn with savage scourging, and his whole system weighed down by mental and bodily agony of sleepless night following the Lord's Supper. We may have some faint idea of the intensity of his suffering. Yes, yes, Jesus definitely suffered greatly. Hanging, as it were, between heaven and earth, Jesus fulfills the type of bronze serpent that Moses made in the wilderness that all who look upon this serpent will live. In fact, Jesus himself said these very words in John chapter 3. He said, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up so that whoever believes will in him have eternal life. As Jesus was suspended between heaven and earth, it was those who would look upon him that truly and could truly live. Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, 
tells us exactly that. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs upon a tree. This is the condemning work of Jesus, the condemning work of the cross. And lastly, number five for this morning, and we'll leave it there, pick up the rest next week. I, I want you to notice also that, that with Him were crucified two other men. John just simply leaves it there. But two other men. Luke, in his account, he has this to say in Luke chapter 22, verse 37. He says, For I tell you that this was written must be fulfilled in me. And he was numbered with transgressors, so that which refers about me has its fulfillment. And as Isaiah also had prophesied there in Isaiah 53, 12, that Jesus will be numbered among the transgressors. The Messiah will be numbered among the transgressors of the world. Augustine had remarked this on, the, on this very account. He said this, that three very different persons hung together on the three crosses on Golgotha. On one was the Savior of sinners. One was a sinner about to be saved. One was a sinner about to be damned. The crucified King. The condemned King. How can we read and reflect upon Scripture such as this and not have any feelings of emotion? I say we can't. We can't. And neither could the men who hung on either side of Jesus on this horrific day. In Luke chapter 23, as he gives this particular account of these two men hung on either side of Jesus, he has this to say, one of the criminals who were hanged there was hurling abuses at Jesus, saying, are you the Christ? Are you the Messiah? Are you the Savior? Save yourself and us. But the other answered and rebuked him, saying, do you not even fear God? Since you are under the same sentence of condemnation, and we indeed are suffering justly, for we are receiving for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, truly today, you will be with me in paradise. Uh, I read that for this point. There was two thieves. One was defiant. One was penitent. One was defiant to the very end, defying, denying, refusing, rejecting the very salvation that was the very hope, the very Savior hanging beside him. The other acknowledged and confessed and repented, if you will. I was also reminded of the words of Jesus, or the words of Thomas, when Thomas had his opportunity to physically meet and see Jesus. He cried out what? My Lord and my God. But I want to ask you this morning, and I ask it of myself first. In fact, I've already asked it of myself this week in, in studying this particular text. It's not the question of are we a criminal? We're all criminals. The question is, which criminal do you identify with? Well, which one of these criminals? Are you defiant to the very end? Do you continue to defy and reject? And de I know you're here this morning, but that doesn't mean much. What's in your heart? What's in your mind? Do you continue to reject and defy and deny Jesus? Or are you penitent? Have you confessed and surrendered your life to Christ? How can we think about the condemned 
king without reflecting upon the words of Paul from Romans 8, verse 1. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, right? This is the reason why. This is the reason why us as criminals who should stand condemned can stand not condemned because of the work of Jesus upon that cross. Listen, you're either in Christ or you're outside of Christ. There is no in-between. There is no middle ground. There is no middle road. You're either in Christ or you're outside of the Christ. Paul says also there, talking to the church in Corinth, the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Father, I thank you. I thank you for your work of the cross. Father, it doesn't matter if I like it. In fact, I don't like it. I don't like it at all. I don't like the process that you determined how to bring about salvation at all. Nothing about it makes me comfortable. It all makes me uncomfortable. And yet, Father, this is the way that you have chosen to save the penitent sinner. So, Lord, as we think about a text, something like as this, it can be very sobering. It can be very sorrowing. It can be very depressing even if we will. But, Father, for the cross, for the, for the sinner who hung on the cross, who cried out, and said, remember me today in Paris. Lord, for those, for us, for the ones who have done that, Father, it is certainly a, a, a text that brings great joy because of the hope that we have in the cross. And so, Father, I pray this morning as your spirit searches our hearts and minds, Father, you're the only one who can see it. You're the only one who truly knows. I pray, Lord, that we would fully, completely totally surrender ourselves to you and to you the work of the cross. I pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen.